0: for you to feel like you belong even if you never believe and so thank you again for listening and i hope today's message encourages you and helps you We are in part four of this series called To Hell With Normal. And if you haven't been here, this is one of the few times that I would tell you, go back, any podcast catcher um, or our app and listen or watch those messages because they really do build on each other. And the whole thing we're talking about is that our whole idea of or propensity to we want to return to normal is good, but we've got to redefine some things in terms of normal. So all series long, we've defined normal culturally this way. Normal is overwhelmed, it's busy, it's distracted, it's anxious, it's social media addicted, it's always in a hurry, and we can't seem to stop it. And our hope in the series is that at some point we would get to the place to just go to hell with normal. Like regardless of what you're doing and they're doing and everybody else is doing, and this is just how it is um, as a single person, a college student, raising four kids, retired, because everybody has this issue. Like to hell with normal. I'm not gonna do what everybody else Does And here's what we've said in the series is that you have an enemy, we have an enemy that subtly wants to move your life in a direction that you never intended to go. And it's easy to get there because it's just normal. Everybody does it. Everybody schedules their life that way. Everybody prioritizes, this is how everybody feels. Everybody's anxious. This is just 2020. And you end up in a place that you never wanted to be in regard to maybe your parenting, your marriage, your emotional health in five years. And it's not that you plan to be there, you just didn't plan not to be there. And so here's the thing that we've said throughout this series, in a hurry culture or a hustle culture, the first thing to go is always awareness. Like when it's just go, 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 I'm overextended, I can't get everything done unless I hurry, that's just my life. Awareness is the first thing to go, awareness of you, awareness of what's going on around you and the relationships around you, and most importantly, your awareness of God. But here's the thing, when you don't have any awareness, it's easy to move in a direction unintentionally until all of a sudden you end up somewhere in 10 years and realize I prioritized my life in this direction. It's why Moses uh, wrote this prayer down that is so powerful. And he said, teach us God to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. And his whole point was teach us to number our, our days. Give us awareness about the fact that life is short And what we're doing today is gonna lead us somewhere tomorrow. And then he said this, and then help us or give us the wisdom that we need. And basically what Moses is saying is, all of us get really clear wisdom at the end of our life about what was most important. Moses is like, help me not to wait for that day. Help me to begin to live like that right now. Because when you live with awareness, it automatically leads to wisdom. And that's the thing that becomes the catalyst for change. If you don't build awareness into your life, Change is never gonna happen. So it's why we've we've asked these couple questions. And I'm not gonna go through them. You can go back. But what is the price of your current pace? Like if you were to look at your life, look at your lifestyle, look at what you are doing, What's the price of your current pace? Because for all of us, whatever we're doing, again, it's leading us somewhere. Second question we ask in week two is this, what is propelling your pace? Because for some of us, we are doing things, we're programming things, and honestly, we don't even know why we're doing it. We just keep on this thing, on this treadmill, and we've never stopped to ask, like, is this best for us? Is this what we want for our life? Is this actually in the best interest of my kids, the way I'm saying it is? And what is propelling my pace? Because until you understand the why behind what you're doing, again, you're never going to be able to change. And then last week, the question was this, what are wise priorities in light of my preferred future? Because all of us have a preferred future, whether you've ever acknowledged it or written it down or not, there's somewhere that you wanna end up. You have a goal for your life. There's a vision that you have. And for some of you, God's actually placed that vision on your heart for your marriage, for your kids, for your career in terms of just where you wanna end up. And the question you have to ask is, are my priorities aligning with that? Because here's what we said. Your priorities determine your future every single time. Not your intentions, your priorities. Not your prayer life, your priorities. Not what you believe, your priorities. And I've said this before, but church people are so guilty of this. We think that we can align our priorities in this direction and then somehow intend, pray, and believe our way into this direction. It doesn't work that way. Priorities trump everything, Priorities are gonna determine the direction and ultimately the destination of your life. So here's where I wanna come around today because I wanna give you a singular principle that I think is the most overlooked principle, maybe in terms of our spirituality, the most overlooked principle in terms of culture. This does not get a lot of airplay. I think we just kinda think it's an Old Testament thing and I get that, but this has the power with all that we've talked about already in redirecting your life and creating awareness and beginning to prioritize first what needs to be prioritized first. This is one of those principles or disciplines or keystone habits that has the potential to direct a lot of the rest of your life in regard to your lifestyle. Because here's what we said. You, if you don't change your lifestyle, your life will not change. And so this principle, or key, you know what a keystone habit is? It's basically like, if you can just get this one thing, it has the power to affect a bunch of other things. Like there's certain habits that if you just focus on that habit, that habit has this exponential effect to positively impact all the rest of your life. And here's, I think, the most overlooked spiritual practice in regard to our life and our lifestyle, is it's just this, this word, Sabbath. And it didn't get a lot of airplay, and we don't ever talk about it, and some of you have grown up in church your whole life, you've never actually heard a message around this, and it's 10 Commandments and it's whatever, but this is such a powerful practice. In the Hebrew, Sabbath literally meant to stop. Just stop, like just stop everything. Here's how I would define it. Sabbath is, and I'm gonna define it as it's a day, but it is so much bigger than a day because it really becomes a lifestyle, but it is something that you have to prioritize. I think it's a part of what Jesus said when he said, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God. We always equate that to like Bible study and prayer, but what he's saying is I want you to adopt my lifestyle. And literally, when God created things, he he designed them around this practice and this principle because he knows us and he created us. So here's my definition of Sabbath. Sabbath is creating a life where you create space between your pace and your capacity limits. You create space between your pace and your capacity limits. We said this in week two, I think, is that you have limitless desires, but you have limited capacity. And if your limitless desires are not governed by your capacity, your life ends up out of control. In fact, in an effort to get the most out of your life, you lose control of your life emotionally or in terms of your schedule or whatever else it may be. And so from the very beginning, God designed this whole practice of Sabbath. Walter Bergman said this, and I think he's dead on. People who keep Sabbath, which I'll explain, live all seven days differently because they understand that we have been given capacity limits, and when we overextend our capacity, we move ourselves into a place where we're outside of the race and outside of the pace that God has designed for our life. Now, here's the thing just to dig down on this a little bit more and then I'll move on, is that when you overextend your capacity, like you're in that place of I'm just anxious, I'm just anxious, I'm anxious all the time, I'm overwhelmed all the time, I can't get it all done. In order to get it all done, I gotta hurry constantly. I just, I'm constantly like the worst version of myself. Like I just, I'm constantly overextended. I'm constantly in this place where I just can't do it. If you're in that place, like, here's the things that we know a couple things happen when you live a life where you're constantly overextended. First thing is what I just kind of mentioned your stress levels go up. We said this several times. The worst version of you as a boss, as a parent, as a spouse is when you are overextended in a hurry. Can I get a witness from anybody? Like, you are your worst version. When all of those things um, are at play, your temper gets really, really short. That's just what happens when you don't have any margin or any space in regard to your lifestyle. That's where you end up. Second thing that happens is you always prioritize urgent things over important things. Like, just watch your life. What happens is the direction of your attention always goes to where you feel overwhelmed, right? And like, I just gotta got put out this fire. I gotta make this better. I got to, we gotta fix this. So where you are overwhelmed and anxiety-ridden, all of your focus goes in that direction. But the problem is those urgent things are not always the most important things. But because there is no space in your life, it's where all of your attention is drawn. And, and here's the thing about that, is that eventually when the important things become urgent, they're really, really hard to fix. Just think about this in regard to your life. The most important things, if you neglect them long enough, they are harder to fix. And it's just one of the byproducts of when you live a life in this direction at a pace that you were never designed for. And then the third thing is this, your relationships always suffer. This is why it's a spiritual issue because the one thing that you are called to do, I want you to love God, and then I want you to love God by loving other people, including you and the people around you. And when you live at a pace that you weren't designed for, your relationships always suffer. Um, A business author, and I should've looked this up and I forgot, I don't know who it was, but would always make the statement that you cannot be efficient in relationships. Like you just can't, you can't be efficient in relationships. And relationships always suffer at an unsustainable pace. And the problem is it's not that you don't show up most likely, but you're just never present. Nobody ever has your attention and they think things around you that a lot of times they'll never say to you and sometimes they'll never say that to you because the other byproduct of you're stressed all the time, you're not present in the moment and so they feel very, very insecure to broach any of those topics, but you're never engaged. You're always on your phone. You're always somewhere else. You're always problem solving. You're always thinking about the next thing. Your attention's always going to this place where you're overwhelmed and you're anxious. And here's the other thing about that is that when you're in that place, when you have no emotional margin, it is very difficult to nurture, and it's very difficult to basically create intimacy and relationship where those relationships require it. Because when there is no emotional margin, you don't have that to give, and then people around you are thinking in their mind whether they'll ever tell you or not, like all you ever worry about is fill in the blank. And every time you're around, I don't feel like we're ever even enjoying our life. I don't even ever know if you're present in the moment or not. Because when you live at that kind of pace that we've described, your relationships always suffer. And we've said this all throughout the series. At some level, the success of your life is gonna be determined by the success, success of your relationship. Because happiness, fulfillment, peace, is not about a what, it's always about a who. It's always about relationship. Now here's the thing. Do you know, let me just speak to parents for a second. Do you know who's noticing most with all of this? Our kids. Um, A study that was done um, in one of his books by Marcus Buckingham, um, brilliant author, he said this, he he did a study and he wrote this, a study of 1,000 young people in third through 12th grade asked kids and teens this question, if you were granted one wish that would change the way your mother's or father's work affects your life, what would that wish be? So they asked these, okay, if if anything could change, if you wanna change one thing about your mom and dad's lifestyle or work and all that, what would the the thing be that you change? And then they did this. In a parallel study, more than 600 mothers and fathers were asked to guess what their children's wishes would be. So they asked the parents, what do you think your kids want? Then they asked the kids, hey kids, what do you want out of your parents? And most parents, 56% guessed that their children would wish for more time with them or that they would work less. They were wrong. So what did kids actually want? Ready? Most children actually wish that their mothers and their fathers would be less stressed and tired. And you're like, that version of me is like never present. Like that version of me is not around very much at all. And yet the thing that they wanted and sometimes this is the case. The thing that wanted was not necessarily even more time or I want you to work less. It is when I do have you, I want you to be present. I want you to be less tired. I want you to be less stressed. And honestly, like what we have been created for when Jesus says, I want you to live life and life to the full, it was never in many cases to live at the pace that we are living. And here's the reality that you probably know. When you don't prioritize what matters, you hurt those that matter most. It never just impacts you, it impacts people around you. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I think we said this in week two. This will be the point where you just go, okay, well, that's pretty clear. I don't think many people are going to argue with that. In fact, most of us are already at that place to go, I want some things to change. I wanna be different. I've heard from many of you throughout this series. So we should just go, let's pray. Like, again, make sure you get a plan or reorganize your schedule and let's get on this. Let's go. But it is so difficult to do that. Like intellectually, you agree with all of that. There's this angst a lot of times to go, no, no, that needs to be different. And yet, it is so difficult to change, and it's so difficult to change for this reason right here. It's one word fear. Like, we're just afraid. Even though Jesus' number one commandment in all the New Testament was what? Do not be afraid. But what do we fear? we fear missing out so every time we go to i'm going to change this i'm going to reprioritize this we're going to we're going to stop this it's okay but i'm not my kids and like i want them to succeed and i'm afraid of what's going to happen if we don't or i'm single and i want to not be single one day or like this business and we're trying to get it off the ground and there is so much fear that if I begin to reprioritize that maybe somehow I'm gonna miss out, I'm gonna miss out on accomplishing what I wanna accomplish. Second thing is this, we fear falling behind. And here's the thing, in a hurry hustle culture, and you'll hear me say this a lot, you have been created to hustle, you've been created to work hard, you've been created to go after things and do things that matter. That's not what Jesus is like speaking against. But listen, in a hurry culture that is married with the digital age, like, this is so unbelievably destructive because we're always thinking, I'm falling behind, I'm falling behind, I'm falling behind. And here's the tragedy. We've never even asked the question of what we're falling behind. It's not even defined. And sometimes it's different with each scroll of Instagram. And then the third thing is, we fear not mattering. Like, for some of us, and maybe this is for a lot of dudes, like, we, we can't stop ever because if I stop, even if it's for a day, as crazy as that sounds, like there's something in me, if I'm not making progress, if, not, if I'm not accomplishing something, if I'm not doing something in the moment, if I'm not moving something ahead, even for a 24-hour period, it can do something in us specifically if we have some kind of misplaced identity to think, if I'm not doing this, if I'm giving this up, then somehow I'm not mattering. And in an effort to matter, a lot of times we give up the things that matter most. The problem is there's never an immediate payoff. You find out seven years down the road. You find out 10 years down the road to realize I prioritized myself in a direction that I did not wanna go. This is why this whole idea of Sabbath is so unbelievably important. And it is a deeply spiritual issue. Like it's a faith issue. And I'm gonna try to unpack that for a couple minutes and then land the plane really practically. But when, when God started this whole thing off, he literally built a practice around this idea that followed into the New Testament. So Israel was a slave nation for 400 years, right? They were a slave nation. All they knew was you work or you die, You get sick, you might die. It's a hand-to-mouth culture. It's like we've gotta keep going every single day. We are a slave nation. And then God rescues the nation of Israel out of slavery. And the first thing he does is say, listen, I want you to listen to me. I'm gonna give you some laws and rules. The laws and rules are not somehow to hem you in or be an enemy to your joy, but you're a brand new nation that doesn't know how to flourish on your own. You're a people that doesn't know how to flourish on your own. All you know is slave rule. So I I wanna create something for you so you know how to live your life at the rhythm of how I've designed you. And this is crazy. The epicenter of what he designed their whole culture and lifestyle around was this idea of Sabbath, That This is what I want you to program everything around. And to them, it was almost crazy because again, there was a lot of fear. If we don't work even for a day, we may die. There's no refrigeration. You you collect food for that day in order to live. And God says, like, I understand that. But I want you to sync your life up, your culture up, your schedule up with how I've designed you because I know you better than you know you. And so I want you to follow me. And it is at its root, a trust issue. It's a faith issue. Will you, with all the things I've placed inside of you for ambition and success and to move it forward, all of that in your DNA is from me, but will you trust me with it? Will you design your life the way that I've called you to design your life? What's interesting is all throughout the scripture, anywhere you see Sabbath, it was always associated with slave culture. And it's funny because 2,000 years later, there's a lot of Egypt that's still in us. And so God comes along and he sets this whole idea of Sabbath up, and here's the basic command. You gotta love a God that says, listen, I, there's some commands I know that are hard to take, but here's one you should all get on board with. Take a freaking day off. That's my paraphrase, didn't say it that way. but like, So his command was, hey, I want you... I want you to rest. I want you to take a day off. I want you literally to design your life around this practice. And again, to them, it made no sense. Every other commandment made sense. Like, hey, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife or husband. Don't steal stuff. Don't create idols. They're like, check, check, check. Take a day off. Like, that doesn't make any sense to us. It's dangerous to us. It's a hand-to-mouth culture. What's gonna happen to us if we program our lives that way? And again, the whole core of the thing, hey, I want you to trust me. This is an issue of faith. This is an issue actually of spirituality. This is an issue of connecting with God. So I want you, I want you to trust me when I say, listen, I know it's, it seems weird and you're like, well, but you don't understand my industry and my world and my kids. Okay, listen, these guys, I, I'm gonna explain it again. If they didn't work for a day, they're afraid that they're gonna die. This required a lot of trust. And I get it. You're like, well, have you understood my industry? Okay, I understand that, but in Genesis 1, Whatever you think about the creation story, that's not my point. If you're skeptical, don't be sidetracked by this. But however it went down, somehow God initiated creation and what happened, whatever means he used. And then it says, when God was done, God rested. So you're like, well, my industry, God rested. Yeah, but I got these kids. Okay, I understand. I I do too. God of the universe rested. Like God rested. And here's what he said in Genesis two, three. I think this is so powerful. John Mark Comer brings this out in the ruthless elimination of hurry, which is a great book to get. But but this verse is so powerful because it says that then God, Genesis two, three, blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Now here's what's really interesting is that God had blessed animals, God had blessed people, and then God's like animal blessed a day. And it wasn't just the day, as we'll see. It was the day breathes into, or, or into a practice that affects all the rest of your life. But what God's saying is, listen, I, I, I blessed animals, I blessed people, which in that context meant this, that when he blessed them, literally, he gave them the ability to create life, to procreate. So God's like, I'm going to give that, that ability, that blessing to animals, I'm going to give that to people, and then I'm going to give it to the Sabbath, which is crazy because here's what it meant in that context is that literally he said, when you practice my way of life, my lifestyle, Sabbath, this practice of Sabbath, this trust faith issue, it has the ability to procreate. It has the ability to create more life. When you lean into this, it will breathe life into and it will create life in all of the rest of your life. And if you do not live according to this practice, you will feel like you are short of life, like you don't have enough. You can't get it all done. And then the second thing he said is, and it's holy. Meaning, in this context, this was so powerful because he's going, if you really wanna know God, you don't have to go to a place. And one day by New Testament times, I'm gonna make that really clear. Uh, You're gonna find God in this practice, in this lifestyle, because here's the whole idea around it. When you decide to sync your life up with how God's designed, you practice this idea of Sabbath. Literally what it does is it creates space for God to move because it requires you to initiate trust and faith to go, God, there's always fear around this, but I'm gonna trust you anyway. And as we said, God always moves in the direction of trust. God always moves in the direction of faith. So when you create space between your pace and your limits, literally what you are doing is not just creating space in your schedule. You're literally creating space for God to move in your life. He's going, I'm gonna bless it. My favor's gonna be on it. This is the way you wanna know how to connect with God. You sync up with the way that I've created you and you will know me. But this is an issue of faith, it's an issue of trust, it's an issue of leaning in to your limits because it's how I created you. It's really interesting, in the Huffington Post, a while back, a guy by the name of um, Ryan Bruxton did this study of those in religious circles um, that practice this whole idea of Sabbath. And what he found among these individuals that, that religiously practice this is that on average, among Americans, is who he surveyed, they live 10 years longer. And then he calculated it up, and that generally in terms of just average length of life, that equated to taking one full day of rest off every seven days. Kind of like God knew. Almost like God created it. Almost like God even communicates to us through our bodies. I've designed you a certain way. I want you to sync up your life with the way I've created you. The other thing in the Old Testament, real quick, not to get too deep on you, but express this whole idea specifically in terms of work practices was this whole idea of the law of gleaning. Is anybody with me still in the house? Are you with me online still? Okay, that was not convincing at all. So give me some comments in the section because I have no idea what's going on in here. Leviticus um, 19.9, here's the the law of gleaning, which is this similar idea specifically relating to work. And this is so interesting because again, this is you eat, you earn a living from your crops. It's an agricultural society. And here's what God implemented. This is so powerful. And if you've been like, I can't wait till we get to Leviticus, here you go. Leviticus 19.9, this is your day. When you reap the harvest of your lamb, do not reap to the edges of your field or gather the gleanings. Meaning, I don't want you guys to go to the edge. I don't want you to get everything that's left. I know there's fruit that fell on the ground, leave it there. I don't, this is not about don't work hard. This is not about don't give your best, not hustle. This is, you have to create space between your pace and your limits. So I don't want you to go all the way to the edge of your field. Literally, there's gonna be more to do I don't want you to do it all, and then he says, "Do not verse ten go over your vineyard a second time, or pick up the grapes that have fallen." Basically, you can't go back to the edges. Like you have got to create artificial limits, artificial deadlines. And I know everything that plays in your mind. Okay, well, but what if that's mine? That's mine. We harvested that. I, I've got. I don't want. I got. I can't leave anything on the table. We got to go back and get it. We got to make sure we, you know, we get more market share. Like we. We've got to do all that we can do. And God's like, no, no, no. I want you to work hard. I want you to achieve everything I've placed inside of you, but I don't want you to do it all. I don't even want you to go to the edge of your field. If it fell, I want you to leave it there and move on and leave them for the poor and the alien. And then he ends this section with this. I am the Lord, your God. And they're like, did you just change the subject? Because that doesn't relate to anything you just said. He's like, yes, it does. Because it's the thing I'm trying to teach you as a brand new nation. This is a trust issue. This is a faith issue. This is, I want you to follow me. And then in Deuteronomy 24, nine, it says this, same principle, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, which is basically like a little bundle of grain that they left behind, don't go back. Yeah, yeah, but we gotta get it. No, don't go back. Yeah, but I I didn't answer all the emails, don't go back. Yeah, but I, I have to, don't go back. Leave it for the alien, for the fatherless, for the widow. And then this is so powerful at the end of this section, verse nine. So that, don't miss this. So that is always a purpose statement. Henna clause in the Greek. So that as a result of, because of everything that I just said, this is the why, this is where it leads you. This is the outcome, literally. This is cause and this is effect. So that. The Lord, your God, may bless you in all the work of your hands. God's like, this isn't about don't achieve. In fact, that's a whole nother subject. You have been created to work hard. In fact, this may freak some of you out. Work was created in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. When you get to a new heaven, a new earth, guess what? You're gonna be working. And you're like, oh, that sucks. No, perfect work, perfectly fulfilling, everything that you've ever dreamed of. But work was actually created as a part of meaning. God has placed something in you to matter, to do something that that is gonna make a difference in the world. All of that is the DNA of God on you. So work was created for meaning, but work was never created to be the meaning of life, to, to quote Tim Keller. It's not everything. And God literally is saying, if you will trust me in this, hustle, work hard, do what I've called you to do, run the race that I've given for your life, but recognize that you have capacity limits. And I don't want you to go all the way to the edge of your field. I don't want you to go back and get it all. I don't want you to get to the place where you can get it all done because you're never gonna get it all done. I want you to trust me in this area. And literally, here's what I put in my notes. God will multiply what we do if we create space between our pace and our limits. Here's what I believe. And I've experienced it in my own life. This this is not a matter. Again, if, if you're, I'll speak to people wired like me. My wife is the same way like just wired to go after stuff, to achieve, to keep pushing, which is why her and I have really had to work hard at this because when you got two people like that in a marriage, it can lead things off the rails really, really fast. I get that. I spent a lot of years, like I could never rest. I always had to be making progress. I could never shut my brain off. But literally what God is saying is this isn't an issue of achievement, but if you are willing to honor me and trust me in this, Not only will you achieve less, you'll achieve more of what matters most. And I'll sync you up with the will and the rhythm and plan and pace that I have for your life, but you'll be able to do it without trading your soul in the process. I've experienced this even in regard to to creating boundaries and deadlines and and artificial deadlines, and a lot has been written about that. But but even looking a few years ago, I do far more in far less time and in much more efficient than I've ever been. Like I do more than I've ever done before in my life and yet I do it in less time than I've ever been able to do it before. And part of that is just working hard. Another part of that is I believe that God honors when you sync your life up with the rhythm of what he's called you to and go, I wanna try to do it all, I can't, I'm not God. So in the space between my pace and my limits, Sabbath is literally a declaration. I know who's running the universe. It's not me. I'm going to trust you to do what I cannot do, and I'm going to do what I can do and I'm going to trust you with the outcome. And then Jesus in the New Testament, he said it this way. This is this is kind of how he summarized all of this in terms of our pushback and the fear that we have when he said this, don't worry. The most repeated command in all the New Testament, do not be afraid, don't fear, do not be afraid. Why are you afraid? Stop fearing. I'm a God of resurrection, do not be afraid. Saying, what are we gonna eat? What are we gonna drink? What's gonna happen with my kids? I don't know, I gotta get this business off the ground. Like, what are we gonna do? What's gonna happen? What's gonna be the end result? And then he says this, verse 32, for the pagans, run after all these things. And it's not a derogatory statement when he says pagans. What he's saying is that the people in the first century that generally they they followed gods like Zeus and Jupiter. And if you study history, those gods didn't care about people. Kindness was not a virtue. Like they were always trying to appease the gods. And so they were concerned like, man, the gods may lay the hammer down on, on us. And so in this statement, Jesus is going, listen, the pagans know that the gods that they serve don't even love them, don't even care for them. And yet you know you have a perfect heavenly father who knows you, who created you, who is for you, who has your best interest in mind. And yet, in most cases, there is very little distinguishing difference between the pagans who have no idea what the future holds and you who know you have a perfect heavenly father that says, I got you, I love you, I'm for you. You should live like it. You should align your life like that is true. And they run after all these things. And yet your heavenly father knows that you Need them. And again, I know you, but if you understood my industry, no, no, I get it. If you understood what we're going through with our kids, no, no, I, I, I get it. Well, you, you don't get it, and like my desire to achieve, my desire to make progress, okay, I, I get it. But your heavenly father knows. Don't worry about me for a second. Your heavenly father knows. He is more committed to the success of your kids within the confines of his will than you are. He's more concerned about your success and achievement than you are, because come on, a lot of us could be honest to know there is seasons of our life where we have sabotaged our own success. God's going, I know, I want you to follow me. I want you to trust me. I'm committed to you more than you are even committed to you. And so follow me. And then he says this last verse, but seek first, prioritize first. Begin to align your life with what I've said specifically around this habit and practice of Sabbath that literally is resistance against normal in your life. It is a constant to hell with normal. I'm not gonna live that way. I'm not gonna do that. I am not going to prioritize what everybody else prioritize. I'm a follower of Jesus. I have a heavenly father that knows. But seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, all these things that you're worried about will be given to you as well. Meaning, I'm gonna lead you to the race and the pace and the will that I have for your life. And even if you are not sure what that is right now, I'm sure what it is. And if you will simply follow me and trust me, I'll lead you there. And I'm just, Jesus would say, I'm just telling you, contentment and peace are the barometers for success in your life. And I want you to be successful, but I don't want you to get to the end of your life like many people that I sit down with would say and go, I wish I would have traded some of my progress for a little bit more peace. And here's the thing you know, right? Eventually your mental willingness is gonna be overcome by your physical exhaustion. And for a lot of us, like we're so mentally willing. As I said last week, there's a lot of choices. It's not between good and bad. It, it's, it's not a, a good or evil. It is, it is good and best. It is what God has for your life. And your mental willingness is there of with my kids, with this job and where I wanna go and, and what I see for the next five years. But eventually, if you do not sync up your pace with how you've been created, your mental willingness will be overcome by your physical exo- exhaustion. To quote John Mark Comer, Sabbath is coming for all of us you will either Sabbath willingly or you will be forced into it. And here's the thing about Sabbath, it always collects with interest. You live your life in a direction and suddenly you are forced because there is an emotional breakdown. Suddenly you have redlined your life. Suddenly you have ignored things so long that now you are moving back in the direction to try to fix what was important but never felt urgent and you're spending three times the time to try to do it. You get to a place where you just burn out and suddenly you are forced to do what you haven't wanted to do for the last 15 years. And listen, like This idea is so huge, but it is not an issue of peace, or it is an issue of peace. It is not an issue of progress. This is not an issue of, a, you should just be complacent. You should just live whatever. You should just kind of go. No, no, I, I, I can't stand that with followers of Jesus. You have been created to go after it, to work, to make a difference in this world. God has placed this inside of you. The issue is just, what are you gonna seek first? Where are you gonna draw boundaries? But this is about your peace. It is not about progress. Really interesting, real quick. But during one of the revolutions in France, they decided they were gonna go to a 10-day work week because they had to catch up. They had to increase productivity. They had to get it done. I think this was from a um, article in CNBC, I think, Bob Solomon, but it was an incredible study. So they went to this 10-day work week to increase productivity, to try to catch up, to get things going. You can only imagine what happened. They went to a 10-day work week and suicide rates skyrocketed production plummeted and their economy crashed. And then they did follow-up studies and you've seen many of these, but they they have realized that there is basically a line and after a certain line, there is a massive law of diminishing return where productivity plummets. And what they've, they've said is that line through study after study after study is about 50 hours a week. And after that, all of your productivity plummets significantly percentage-wise. Now, you're in different areas of your life. You can do different things. If you're in a place of empty nester, you can do some things that I can't do. It's gonna change from season to season. My point is there is capacity limits on all of us. And I'm telling you, God does not just speak through the scriptures. He doesn't just speak through your prayer life. God will literally speak through your body to go, I've created you a certain way. You better listen to me. (laughs) I have created you to live at a certain pace. You need to listen to me, you need to trust me. And as you do, it will redirect all the rest of your life. So what I wanna encourage you to do is so simple and seems so unrealistic and I get that, but I've been teaching this for a few years. I wanna encourage you to at least begin to work in the direction of creating a 24-hour Sabbath that's worked into your routine. And some of you, it may look different in this season. There are seasons for everybody, I understand that. There are certain seasons, even throughout my year, things are cyclical, it's much more busy than other seasons. But I want you to begin to at least consider, and I get, I'm naive, and I don't understand your world, and I get it, that's fine. But just go to the scriptures, and you'll see it over and over and over again. I want you to at least consider moving in this direction. You may not be there right now, it may take some time, I get that but moving your life in this direction to create some space between your pace and your limits. One of the things that, and it's kind of surprising to me that I hear more feedback on from messages that I do, sometimes a couple of years later, is this whole issue of Sabbath. One is a good friend of mine, started a business a couple of years ago that she's the CEO of. This business has absolutely taken off. They just added another location, multimillion dollars. I think she, I think she started two years ago. And she um, emailed me and we talked somewhat often and she talked about the fact that she heard a message two years ago that I was preaching about Sabbath and she literally built her business practice around this idea for her personally and for her family, but also for her business. They take the Siki first really, really seriously where the first of their profits is a business they give away. They give to the local church, to other nonprofits, and then they schedule all of their time and their business practices around this whole idea. Her business has grown to a multimillion dollar company just featured in Forbes magazine, fastest growing small businesses, couple locations. And I'm telling you, I, it, this is not a, you you pick the right combination, God's just gonna bless whatever. But I'm just telling you, when you sync up with how God has designed your life and your rhythm, it is not an issue of progress, it is an issue of peace. It is an issue of what God has designed for your life. And I've heard from business leaders and CEOs and teachers and single parents, but people who have adopted this practice, it's the single greatest thing I hear about every single year of, I did this and it changed my life. So as I close... I wanna encourage you to move toward a 24-hour Sabbath. Here's the thing about Sabbath that's so interesting. In the Hebrew, it means to stop. It also means to delight. So Sabbath literally is this invitation, I just want you to stop. It's not about even taking a day off. It's about I, literally, I want you to stop, and here's the thing about everything in our culture: everything is hijacked. And I don't, I'm not against marketing or advertising, but even Sabbath—they, you know, not going to call it that in advertising, but where they paint these pictures of resting, and they do it because they know that in our culture, like our heart, our soul is drawn to that. And so, whether it's some dude on a guitar out in the field, or you know, it's but it, even that is like advertised of like you need to have some organic linen and a charcuterie board or whatever. It's like it's got to be perfect. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Sabbath. No, no that's not what Sabbath is. Put Instagram away, your organic linen blanket away, like the fact that it's gotta be perfect. Like, in fact, one of the things about Sabbath is you need to get rid of all these notions of perfection and just be in the moment. And I'm gonna prioritize people over perfection and I'm just gonna like be in this moment. I'm just gonna rest in this moment. Literally, Sabbath is this idea of I want you to stop from everything, not just work. I want you to stop from comparing. I want you to stop from worrying. Even if it's nowhere else in the rest of your life, try it for a day, that you're gonna do everything you can. I'm not gonna compare. I'm not gonna go shop. I'm not gonna try to get one more thing. I'm not gonna try to accomplish one more thing. I'm not gonna, I'm just, I'm gonna stop completely and I'm gonna rest. That's why the question with Sabbath is this, if I can just give you some practical handles. You need to ask the question, is it rest? Is it rest for my body? Is it rest for my soul? And then I love that Hebrew word, to stop and to delight, meaning when you create space between your pace and your limits, it gives you just enough awareness to go, man, I just wanna enjoy the things that are around me. Like how many times have you sat down and enjoyed your kids without thinking about the next thing? How often have you sat down, like go and read something that is not an Amazon review? Like, that's not Sabbath. No, just read for pleasure. Don't read for practice. Go take a walk that's not to burn calories. Leave your watch at your house. For real. Like, is it rest? I just want to delight because when you create space, it does something in you. I'm telling you, as you practice this, as mentally you begin to get around this, where literally it'll be some of those meaningful worship of your life if you're a Jesus follower. You'll sit with your kids and go, man, God is good. You'll create just enough space to have good food and wine with friends. And literally, it's not just a night where you have wine with friends. This is what is so powerful and layered about being a follower of Jesus. You know that there's something else behind it at the depths of your soul. And in that, there's something that wells up to go, God is good. There's something in terms of thankfulness and gratitude. You give just enough awareness for God to work. You need to stop and you need to delight. You need to recognize all of this is from the hand of God. And I'm telling you, we went through a hellish year. And I think this is one of the practice that moved us through that year. And yes, it was difficult. I'm not gonna paint an unrealistic picture. When you have suicide, my mom passed away from Alzheimer's. Yet you know, We got to the end of that year and we were still able to say, God is so good. Because you have to build into the rhythm of your life, this space between your pace that's constantly leading you back to worship and you're able to be in the moment and you're able to recognize God, you are incredible and everything is from your hand. And even where some things are off the rails in my life, when I create enough space, it creates an awareness in me to go, you are still worthy of worship and you are so good. I love this in Nehemiah 8.10, I gotta go quick. It's one of my favorite verses that we never it never gets any airplay where it says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Literally, that's why Sabbath was created so that you would stop and you would delight because in that delighting, in that worshiping, in that God, you are good, in that replenishing joy in your spirit, in your heart, it literally gives you the supernatural strength that you need for everything else in your life. And for some of you, like you're, you're, you're trying to gain strength without, without the practice and the lifestyle that Jesus has created you for, but the very joy that you are seeking is aligning yourself with what God has created you to do, to go, I'm gonna create some space here. And in that space, God's gonna do something in my heart. And literally that joy is the catalyst for what he wants to do in every other area of your life. So begin to just work in that, this direction. Like it may be unrealistic, take a half a day, take four hours. Start somewhere. I'm just gonna stop everything. I'm gonna take social media off my phone. I'm gonna take a walk. I'm gonna read a book for pleasure. I'm gonna make love to my spouse. I'm going to drink, I should have got an amen out of that. I'm gonna drink good wine. I'm gonna eat good food. I'm Like I'm gonna find things that I enjoy and I'm gonna fill my soul with them. And I'm just telling you real quick, I'm so. it's such a weird thing to be passionate about, but I think it, it is so lost in our spiritual disciplines. I, I, this is not an overstatement. I think it is, You know, besides the obvious things, it is the number one spiritual practice for my wife and I that has changed our life. We are relentless about this. We are ruthless about this. It's gotta fluctuate sometimes, but generally, there's a whole day over a weekend, we're going dark. You're not gonna hear from us. Um, We're gonna enjoy our family. And we so often, and my wife will tell, like, I'm not lying, you can find her. We'll come out of a weekend, almost every day to go, that was so good, like we made so many memories. It was a day, I know. But we filled it up with everything we enjoyed. We were present with our kids. We were present in our marriage. We read good books. We sat by a fire. And there's something about that where God just fills your soul. It is not easy, but it becomes a lot easier. And you walk away and you begin to experience, okay, this is what contentment feels like. It's what freedom feels like. This is what it looks like to live outside of the hellish Culture of normal and align my life with what God has created me to do. And it also begins to redirect some things like comparison. Like just take a day and don't compare yourself to anybody else. Don't look at what anybody else is doing. It redirects contentment, misplaced identity. It plays on that insecurity that God may have to work through where you just stop and in that stopping you feel like, do I even matter if I'm not doing something or making progress, and it's in those moments God's going, you are loved, you are accepted, you're worthy, you're secure. I want you to achieve, but you also need to know you already have achieved, and you already have been successful, and you already have earned, and you already have my favor, Mm -hmm. not because you actually have, but because I've done it for you. So I want you to just rest for a second, and in your resting, it's a declaration when your soul starts to get anxious. I am not the creator of the universe, so I'm gonna stop, and I'm gonna trust the creator of the universe to do his thing, to keep, my business moving forward to breathe his life into this ministry and he's going to do more with my limited capacity than I'm ever going to be able to do with overextending my capacity I don't have time so but I just want to encourage you do a couple things don't check these are things that have been helpful for us your email social media before bed or getting up in the morning seek you first for real start your day read a verse pray for two minutes but you win the morning, you win the day. When you begin to be directed down a rabbit hole you didn't wanna go, it can affect everything for the rest of your day. Begin to build in space. One of the things that I don't do is, I don't even have email on my phone. Which you're like, well that's not possible, and it may not be, so this is, this is descriptive, it's not prescriptive, it may not even be possible for you. But most people who do what I do at this size ministry, they don't think it's possible for them e- either. But a study that I saw a few years ago was at churches, our side and larger, the suicide rates for pastors are very, very high. So I don't care if it's not normal. I'm not going to do it because normal has not worked out that great. And so whatever it is for you, I I've found like there is no email that is so urgent that I have to answer it at nine o'clock. If it's that urgent, somebody's going to call me. Create some space, recharge quarterly. After a deadline, a project, you have a baby that starts sleeping, tell your schedule what to do, but we're gonna put it on the calendar. We're gonna get away. We're gonna spend some time together. We're gonna recharge. You see Jesus do this throughout the New Testament. And the last one, don't be available 24 seven. I know we feel like we have to, we don't. You feel that pressure with what you do. It doesn't matter what you're a single mom, you're leading a business. I feel it with what I do, but I'm just not, everybody's, urgency or emergency is not my priority. And that's not an issue of not loving people. It's understand I've been created with capacity limits and I cannot be available 24 seven for everybody at every single time, create artificial deadlines, but make sure that you sync your life up with the reality of I have to create some space. And if I run at this pace long enough, there's gonna be consequences. This is the last thing for real. Bronnie Ware, Australian hospice nurse. She would be with patients who were dying for the last 12 weeks of their life. And she wrote an article about these, basically this study she did and these questions that she asked. And I think her study is the essence of what Moses was talking about when he said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Because Bronnie Ware talks about the incredible insight and wisdom that people have at the end of their life. Like everything is clarified. And Moses, again, in in that verse of teach me to write my days, so I may gain a heart of wisdom is going, I I wanna reach into those days. I wanna grab that wisdom and I wanna live with that today. Bronnie, we're asked these two questions. And basically the two questions were around what were the two greatest regrets of these individuals last 12 weeks of their life? And here's what they said. Here was the number two regret. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. This came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partners, companionship. Women also spoke of this regret, but as most were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. All of the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. And again, nobody's advocating don't work hard, don't go after it, to not do that is sin. But make sure that there is space between your pace and your limits. And then along this whole idea of to hell with normal, this was the number one regret of people that she surveyed. I wished I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. So where are you gonna build this into your lifestyle and just start somewhere? And realize that every time you do it, if it's a weekly thing that ultimately, again, you live this way one day a week, it will spill into how you live every other day of the week. Just mark it down. But when you take this seriously, realize that every time there's a little bit, "Mm, I don't know, it is a declaration of God, I trust you. God, my faith is in you. I'm aligning my life with you. And, And all throughout the scripture, he says maximum potential, maximum success, maximum achievement is found under the canopy of God's authority. Follow me, trust me to hell with normal. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you for, Lord, what you have left us for 2,000 years. I thank you for the intense, practical nature of it. And and Lord, I know with series like this and messages like this, I I understand it. There's so many pushbacks. There's so many whatabouts and why this doesn't work and it's unrealistic. And and I get it. And for a lot of us, we've been so baited into that by our culture. But I, I pray that we'd at least give you a little bit of room to just ask the question, like, maybe you're right. Maybe you know what you're talking about. And maybe you really do have our best interest in mind. And for some of us, and I so relate to this, with my personality that we, we wanna make progress, we wanna achieve, we wanna make a mark, we wanna do stuff that matters, that you place that in us. But help us to surrender even that under your authority. To say, God, I want to sync my life up with your rhythm and your pace in such a way that you can bless my life that I can get to the end and not have regrets about a little less progress, but a little more peace. And God, I wanna create room for you to work. And literally throughout scripture, this idea of where we create space, we are creating space for God to move in a supernatural way. So God, give us the courage to do what we need to do. And we pray this in your incredible name, amen.